0: Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Hope you're doing well. My name is Jonathan McCullough. And I'm Ben Gillen. And this is Open Questions. Just a couple of little worms doing math. <laughs> if you heard that laugh, it's because <laughs> once again, we have Friend of the Pod. Uh huh. <laughs> Rena
1: is back. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> don't record these episodes back to no, back.
2: Fully different day. Fully
1: <laughs> different day. Uh-huh. I don't know what you're talking about. Can you be a Friend of the Pod if you're actually on the Pod? Oh, I don't know. Or is it friend of the
0: pod and they never show up? <laughs> oh, is that what friends of the pod are?
2: I don't know. It's like asking yeah. if you can be friends with yourself. Mm. It depends on the person. True.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. sure. uh-huh. But I'll be given the, the talk today and Rena and Ben will be blindfolded. And uh, what I'm going to talk about today is instanton flower homology. Which we won't really get into at all.
2: But, <laughs> Do you want a um, little ASMR? For yeah, give us some <laughs> don't, ASMR. Don't forget about
0: the blindfold noises. Yeah. And this is a, a cool version of homology, which I'll tell you what that's about. That uh, has a nice little conjecture that if it's true, uh, we'll prove the four-color theorem, which you've probably heard about, without using computers, which has never been done before. So, we do get an open question in this episode of the podcast. First open question How many episodes deep are we? I think this is four or five. This is, I think, five. I think this is episode five. And finally, we get an open question. And we've reached an open question. Wow. The titular open question. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Very exciting. So, I'll probably explain homology first, and then I will explain the four color theorem, and then I'll explain instanton flower homology. And uh, how that might be useful. Have you heard of homology before? I know. Rena, you took topology last.
2: Technically, I have heard of it. Okay. Did I learn it is a different question. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. it's. It usually takes a couple of passes, yeah. I think, to get it. Have you heard of homology? I've heard of homology. I've okay. heard of cohomologies. homologies <laughs> I've heard of
1: <laughs> lots of adjacent things, but I have yeah. no idea what's going on. I feel like the other reoccurring segment in our podcast, besides... Proof corner. Mm -hmm. The other reoccurring segment is Ben is a bad geometer. And Jonathan teaches him (laughs) geometry.
0: (laughs) I love that corner. That's the other corner.
2: That's the whole podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but it is. It's very shape-based. It's very geometrical. It's very topological. And it's very, very cool. And lots of structure comes from homology and stuff. So I'll I'll explain that first. And I guess you can put your blindfolds on now. Blindfolds going on. So homology, I want you to think of it as an input and an output. We input some geometric object, some shape or some space, and the output we get an algebraic object. And so all I mean by an algebraic object, it's not like equations, like in high school and stuff, when we talk about algebra, we talk about like y equals mx plus b, you know, equations with variables, but in higher level math, algebra means a bunch of elements and a bunch of structure within the elements. So something that has basically no structure is just a set. So a set has a bunch of elements, but there's no interplay between the elements. And you can have uh, sets with lots of structure. So you have a bunch of elements and a bunch of structure. An example is the real numbers, right? So this is uh, a bunch of elements, all of the numbers, all of the real numbers. And the structure between them, there's a lot of structure. You've got addition, you've got multiplication, you've got an ordering. And so all of these bits of structure uh, actually like determine the real numbers. So there's like 17 axioms, and if they hold, then you have the real numbers. And the real numbers satisfy these 17 things. So it's like a lot of structure.
2: Are the axioms unique to the real numbers?
0: Uh, Yes, it's an if and only if. It's an equivalence. So that's like the big statement is if you have any algebraic object that satisfies all 17 of these, it is the real numbers, which is very nice. So that's an example of something with a lot of structure. And algebra was like the study of of groups, which is basically taking away a lot of those 17 axioms. Yeah, groups have much less structure, but it's kind of taking a step back and looking at things from a, more broad point of view to understand the more specific things. So this is just kind of an intro to algebra if you've never seen algebra before. And again, what we're doing homology, we give homology a space or a shape, and we are curious about the structure of this shape. And so we assign to it some algebraic object to record that structure. And homology is really recording the structure of holes in a shape. And we get a ton of information about the structure of these shapes based on the holes that are presented. And these holes can be any dimensional, which is nice. So what shape would the real numbers be? The real numbers, you can think of that shape as a line. Uh, And you're taking away... (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. And you're taking away a lot of structure by just calling it a line. But yeah, I would say a line. Uh, For us, we can just think of shapes that you can picture in your head. What I would probably ask you to do is visualize 2D surfaces in three-dimensional space. So a sphere, right? A, a torus, which is like an inner tube. And that's what we'll talk about. We'll we'll do the homology of the torus, because I think that's a great example. And we're going to record the different types of holes in the torus. So it's a two-dimensional shape because it's not filled in, right? It's just right, the exactly. surface of the torus. Right. If you had a donut and you're counting the... Matter inside the donut, then that would be a three-dimensional manifold, a three-dimensional shape uh, with some boundary, and the boundary would be this two-dimensional torus that I'm talking about. Mm. It's where you reach the edge of that 3D donut, and so yeah, so we're thinking about an inner tube with air inside of it, and so the shape I'm talking about is really like the the rubber of the inner tube, not the air inside of it, and so another good thing about homology. That I should mention is that this is a an invariant. So homology is unchanged if you give it two inputs, right? Two geometric shapes, and you can deform one of these into the other by like stretching and uh, rotating and doing all sorts of things without tearing anything, without creating or closing up holes, right? Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the structure of holes. And so this is very nice to have this topological invariant. And so for the torus, we ask about the holes in each dimension. So in the zeroth dimension, it's not really, we're not really recording holes. We're just recording how many connected components there are. So how many different objects you see. I can give you like two toruses and a sphere. And then when we count the zero dimensional holes, we're actually just counting the number of objects that I give you. So that would be 3 in this case. And the algebraic object that we output from homology would have 3 generators of the elements in this algebraic object that we get as output coming from those 3 things that I gave you. And so that's the zero-dimensional case. We're just counting up how many things we have. And then in the one-dimensional case, now picture the torus just by itself. So I give you one thing. So in zero dimensions, the algebraic object outputs one generator. And now we look at one-dimensional holes. And so a couple different ways to think of it. The first is like how we can draw a circle on this object and go through the circle without touching the rubber. There are a couple different ways to do this. Go through the circle without touching the rubber? Yes. So so one uh, way you could draw a circle on the inner tube is you just kind of draw a circle right on the outside of the inner tube. This would not be a hole because the circle is the boundary of some rubber, right? I'm just thinking of drawing it right there on the inner tube. We can't see that, Jennifer. I know. I know. <laughs> um, That's why we're blindfolded. Yeah. So think about like a tire and just draw a tiny little circle on the tire.
2: Like on the outside? On the outside of the tire.
0: Like on the treads? Yeah, on the like treads. Like wrapping
2: a string around it almost.
0: Okay. So not quite like that. That's what I'm going to talk about next. You're okay. just like imagining a tiny little punching A little hole and your
1: tire is leak in air because you punch this tiny little hole. Okay, yeah, sure. And what's the shape of that hole? That hole's the shape of a circle.
0: Yeah, yeah. So like take, yeah, just point out some point on the inner tube, on the tire, and draw a tiny little circle around it. Okay. Right? And so you can't go through that circle without touching the rubber. Mm. So that's not a hole. So that that first circle we're drawing, that's not a hole.
2: Yeah.
0: But now we talk about what Rena's talking about, which is drawing a circle around the tire, and there's two different ways to do this. Okay, so one way is going. Oh, your circle has to be completely touching the rubber
1: at all times. Yes,
0: your circle is on the rubber, like you're drawing it on the the surface. Gotcha. Okay, and so one way to do this is going around and like through the hubcap, right? Like through the or Does that makes sense. Yes, if 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 the
1: shape is an inner tube, right? Yeah, the part that your body pops through. Yes, right? Yeah, that's
0: kind of how we're. Yeah, yeah,
1: you draw it. You start there, where your body pops through, mm-hmm. and you go all the way to the outside of yep. it. And then mm-hmm. you come back around the bottom, and you reach back
0: to the point where you are. That exact kind of circle. Yeah, exactly. Does that and explanation make
1: sense, Rena? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. makes sense. And
0: if you're thinking about the inner tube on the table, just laying as it would on the table, this would be like a vertical circle uh, going like through the mm-hmm. inner tube. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. That, would, that yeah. circle would be a vertical circle. And so this is an example of a hole. Right, because you can pass through that circle without touching any rubber.
1: Because there's nothing on the inside of. If you're on the
0: inside of the inner tube, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so, what's the other circle that we could draw that is a hole?
1: Wrap it around.
0: Right. So now you go, you draw a horizontal circle around the entire inner tube, like where
1: the chocolate goes on a chocolate donut. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. If you were icing the donut, you make a circle. Yeah. And that is the circle we're talking about. And that's also a hole because you can go through it just like your body going through the inner tube. So these are like the holes. And these are two different types of holes because getting from one circle, that vertical circle, to the horizontal circle, there's no way to do that smoothly. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah.
2: Like there's no map that will turn one circle into the other circle.
0: Yeah, without cutting or, or doing things that aren't allowed topologically and so these are two different holes in and so the we course. decide that they're different holes yes exactly so then in the algebraic object that is output by homology these are two different generators in that algebraic object and then the two-dimensional hole there's only one it's the air inside the inner tube yeah. that is a two-dimensional hole and so we get one generator that represents that hole in the algebraic object. So in the end of the day, we get this algebraic object with four generators representing the hold structure of the torus. And that gives us a lot of information about this shape.
1: There's zero three-dimensional
0: holes, right? Right, exactly. There are no three-dimensional holes or anything above that. And actually, this is a fact that any n-dimensional surface you have, there are no uh, n plus one or greater dimensional holes. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so homology only goes up that many dimensions does this make sense any
1: questions here can we imagine a three-dimensional hole or is it too high dimension to for us to imagine in our heads
0: it's kind of hard you'd have to let's
1: yeah. skip it then
0: yeah i don't think there's a good way to see one this isn't really
2: something you can imagine but like an n-dimensional sphere yes. has yeah. an n-dimensional hole
0: yeah exactly yeah like it's, because... it's not
2: like something you can picture per yeah. se
0: but, yeah, that is the best and, like, simplest example of n-dimensional homology. We'll leave it for the Patreon. I would love to say that <laughs> uh-huh. because we don't have a Patreon. <laughs> Which means we're not. The sub-sub-stack. <laughs> yeah. Is special. But, yeah, and this makes sense, right? S1, the circle, uh, has one-dimensional homology. It's, it's a hole. And then the 2D sphere, S2, has the two-dimensional hole. And, yeah, so S3 would have the 3D sphere would have a three-dimensional hole. And so, okay, very cool thing about homology. How do we define holes rigorously? It's very hard to do. And actually, Emily gave me a book on holes that is strictly from a philosophical perspective. Emily's Um, my girlfriend, by the way. People at hell. (laughs) And yeah, it's a completely philosophical take on what a hole is. And it's like 200 pages and has very interesting language And it's a completely different take. And it's a very hard concept to get at. So defining it rigorously mathematically is quite interesting. What's the name of the book? It's called Holes. (laughs) 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 I I don't know the author. (laughs) Very creative. Yeah. And so I think we can move on to the four color theorem and talk about the statement and an equivalent statement that we're going to prove. Have you heard of the four color theorem before?
1: Yes. A while ago, but remind us.
0: Okay, nice. Would anyone like to state it?
1: I imagine it like if you take a piece of paper mm-hmm. and you divide up the piece of paper, you just like draw lines mm-hmm. or squiggles, yes. however you want yeah. along the yeah. piece of paper and divide it up into a bunch of different parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can then color the piece of paper. And if you have four colors mm-hmm. of markers that you're coloring the piece of paper in, there will mm-hmm. always be a way to color in the paper with no
0: two mm-hmm. regions that are touching having the same color. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh huh. And so this is like if you're a map maker and you want to color the countries on a map and you don't want any countries who share a border to have the same color, how many colors do you need? And the statement is that we only need four ever, no matter how complicated the map is, no matter how hard some map maker tries to make this a hard map to color which seems
1: contradictory but I would implore you to try it yourself and you'll realize <laughs> that like oh wait. It's... I think a
2: fun one is the map of the US states mm, coloring mm-hmm. that with four colors. It's kind of weird that it that you can do it especially when you get to the east coast and they're all mm-hmm. really small and next to each other. Mhm.
1: Mm-hmm. Does corners count if it's just touching on the corner? I think
0: yes. Yeah, I think let's see. What is the corner? I think you're like I think you can call those adjacent. And make it harder for yourself and call those adjacent and I think it still works. Cool. Yeah. And so this was conjectured in eighteen fifty-two by Francis Guthrie. And it remained an open problem until nineteen seventy-seven. So over a hundred years we didn't know the solution to this problem. We we solved it early on with six and five. We said early on, okay, we can do it if you give us six colors. We can do any any math. And then after that, shortly after that, we said, okay, we can do it with five but we still couldn't figure out four for the longest time. And we didn't get the answer until computers were invented. The proof uh, given by Apple and Hawken was a computer-assisted proof. And this was controversial at the time, and a lot of people even didn't believe it for a while uh, because it had this computer assistance. And since then, it's still not been proven without computer assistance what was the assistance
1: that the computer used though because why can't Mm -hmm. we just say oh it was computer assisted but we can
0: look at it and now we can just do it ourselves i think it's the fact that it like split up the problem into thousands of cases oh wow and i think more than anyone has been able to check by hand So no one person has checked the proof, I think. (laughs) So we're just relying on the fact that the computer program itself has been checked and proven to be a correct thing. There's a lot of that now in like proving the correctness of algorithms and things like that. And so, yeah, so it is like it's very solid, like it's a solid proof and it's true, but still no human proof, I would say. And so that's kind of where we're going. Is there might be, if the conjecture we'll bring up is true, there would be a human proof of this statement, which is really cool and really exciting. And so one thing we can do, and one thing that was done early on by Tate on this problem, is to translate maps to graphs. So we take each region of a map and we say that that is now a node. And if two Regions on a map share a boundary if they're adjacent. Then on the graph with the nodes, we connect those two nodes, which represent the regions, with an edge. Just a line between them. Yeah, exactly. We call it an edge in mathematics. Basically,
1: in the U.S. state's case, you Mm -hmm. draw a dot in Mm -hmm. the middle of where each state is located, and then if two states are touching, you draw a line between those dots. Yeah, exactly.
2: So like the California and Oregon dots would have a line.
1: Yes, yes. And the uh, Louisiana and Texas dots are kind of low. <laughs> yeah.
0: And South and North Carolina dots are yeah. oh, uh-huh.
2: Some of us are from better states than others.
0: <laughs> we won't say who.
1: <laughs> I'm pulling out my collar right now. Of, no one can see it, but
0: Jonathan. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have, for each of these maps of countries, we have a graph with nodes and edges. And so our coloring problem then becomes, how can we color the nodes of this graph? Uh, and what Tate did in the 1800s, he did most of his stuff in the late 1800s, is he made an equivalent statement. And I'll explain the statement, and I don't think we'll be able to prove what Tate proved today, but we'll kind of black box it, I guess. So Tate said that this four-color statement, right, that we can four-color the nodes of any planar graph so that just means a graph in the plane I'm just saying that because we draw maps on the plane so this statement that we want to prove is equivalent to I'm going to say the name of it and then I'll explain it so don't be afraid of the name but any trivalent bridgeless planar graph is three-edge colorable
1: oh yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) Okay. okay, I so just a trivalent,
2: bridgeless, cleaner.
0: <laughs> yeah, Yo, yeah. I, I eat it for breakfast.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so now I'll explain what, what this is and how it kind of relates to the, the graphs that we have. So a trivalent graph, okay, we've got nodes and edges still. A trivalent graph is just a graph where each node has three edges coming from it. That's all that is.
1: Mm.
0: It's pretty easy. And a planar graph, we already said what that was. It's just in the plane, and none of the edges cross each other.
2: So a planar graph is, can be drawn flat, right?
0: Yes. A planar graph can be drawn flat without any crossings. Now, bridgeless is interesting. Okay, bridgeless is kind of, picture two graphs in your head. One on the left side of your brain and one on the right side of your... Yep. <laughs> yeah, just like in front of
2: you.
0: Yeah, got them. Okay. No, they're in my brain. They're inside <laughs> your brain. All you do is look at a node on the left, and you look at a node on the right, and you connect those two with an edge. You've just created a bridge uh, between two graphs. And so we want to talk about bridgeless graphs. And something is three-edge colorable if we can color all the edges of the graph with three colors such that no two adjacent edges are the same color. So it's adjacent, very similar.
2: As in the share of our text.
0: Exactly. they share a vertex? Exactly. Okay. Share yeah. a
1: hmm Yes. So if we have this bridgeless three-edge, colorable, planar, what was the last Trivalent. One? Tri-valent. <laughs> Trivalent. If we have this yes. graph, this guy proved that this is the same as a map, basically, that we're trying to color exactly. with four colors? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yes. In a way that you can kind of see what's going on here is... Um, you can triangulate every map. And coloring this triangulation is equivalent to coloring the original map. And when you get a triangulation, that's where our trivalent graph comes from. Now when you make your graph, everything's going to have three edges coming out of the node. And there's some things like you have to take the dual of a graph, which is kind of different and do this triangulation but the important thing i don't even know yeah. what
1: triangulation is but yeah. i believe you i can see yeah. there might be some similarities and i'm like sure if i yeah. squint and there's some yeah. technicalities going on but they can be the same thing buy it
0: so mm-hmm.
2: tate's thing is about coloring the edges not the nodes, right? right yeah we're okay.
0: changing things and we're calling the edges and three colors instead of four and this other stuff yeah
2: Because I can see how the faces would become nodes. Yes. And like if you were coloring the nodes, it would be kind of obvious to me how those two things are equivalent. Yeah. It's a lot less obvious that coloring the edges is equivalent to coloring the faces. Coloring the edges in
1: three colors is the same as coloring the faces in four. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that that actually takes a little bit of proof for sure. There's a lot that I'm not saying. And it would take... You would need some visuals, I think. It's very hard (laughs) to prove this. Blindfolded. We'll go on faith. Yeah, so just trust me.
1: Proof by too big for the corner. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And so this is what we want to prove now. And now we can get to flower instanton homology and how this might help. So I think it would be too hard to really get into what either flower means or what instanton <laughs> means.
2: So we got homology though. We got
0: homology. We got that. We got the fact that we're inputting a geometric thing and we're outputting an algebraic thing. And so that's all I'm going to require of you for this. But well, I guess all you should know is there was an episode earlier about symplectic geometry. And this flow homology is a part of that field of study, if you're interested in looking into it more. So this uh, paper came out by Peter Kronheimer and Tomas Moroka in 2015, and it studies like a very specific type of homology on these trivalent graphs, okay? So the input that this homology takes is trivalent graphs, which is what Tate talked about. And um, these trivalent graphs that uh, Kronheimer and Marocca were looking at were actually embedded in 3D space. So they don't have to be planar anymore. It's a bit more general setting. And so for each object, this homology outputs some algebraic object. And it can be zero or it can be non-zero. These algebraic objects can be nothing, actually. And so this is their result that they proved in the paper in 2015. This algebraic object, let's call it J. Let's call the graph G, and let's call this algebraic object that they output J. So J is non-zero, if and only if G is bridgeless, okay? So, and this is going to be important for because mm. we're talking about bridgeless trivalent graphs, okay? And so again, if G has a bridge, then J is zero. That's the opposite of that. And their conjecture is that this algebraic object J, it has a dimension, okay? So there, there's some number associated to it. And you can think of a dimension... Like, the plane is two-dimensional. Same thing. Our algebraic object, J, has a dimension. And their conjecture is that the dimension of this output is equal to the number of ways that you can three-color the edges of this trivalent graph, G. Okay? So for any trivalent graph, if you can three-color it, you can do it in maybe more than one way. There's a number of different ways you can do it. The simplest example is just the circle. Just one edge and one (laughs) node. Sure. There's three different ways to color it red, blue, or green. We have three colors. And so it has three tape colorings. Okay. And so something with, uh, that is not three colorable will have zero tape colorings. And so the dimension of J, the dimension of the algebraic object, is equal to these number of tape colorings. So if the dimension of J is zero, if that algebraic object is zero, then there are no tape colorings. And so, why do these two statements? We've got one statement that they proved in one conjecture, and these two things prove the four color theorem. Okay, so let's see why that's true. So, we have a trivalent bridgeless graph in the plane, say, and we want to prove that that thing is three colorable. So, we want to prove that it has at least one tape coloring. So the conjecture is that the number of take colorings is equal to the dimension of this algebraic object j, okay? And by the result they gave, since this graph is bridgeless, that j is non-zero. So it has non-zero dimension. So that means the number of take colorings is positive. It's greater than zero. And so it has a take coloring. So it has a three, it is three colorable. And so we've proved that statement that we wanted to prove, which is that any of these graphs that we like, trivalent, bridgeless, planar graphs, is three-colorable. Wow. And that's the four-color theorem. So
2: the conjecture is the dimension? Like, is the dimension equal to the number of colors? Exactly, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh.
0: And they've seen this in a lot of examples. It's, it's unclear, though, if this conjecture is true or not. It's like not very... It's an open question? It is an open <laughs> question. We don't know. And yeah, and that's our first open question that we've ever talked about. And it could lead to a very cool proof, a human-based proof, of a very, very old problem.
2: That's a very slick proof.
0: Yeah. No, that's very quick and very, very cool. And so I think you can take your blindfolds off. I think you've made it. Wow. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Very cool. And there's actually, um, there is like an archive paper. There's a paper on the archive, which is where all the mathematicians put their papers before they get published.
1: For free. They're all on there. Anyone
0: ever wants to check it out. Yeah, exactly.
2: Are either of you on the archive?
0: No. Um... (laughs) No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe soon. Yeah. Maybe oh, not so soon. The <laughs> archive, though, is spelled A R X I V dot org?
0: Yeah, I think so. Anyway, check it out. Yeah. Uh, but there is a paper on the archive that claims to prove this conjecture, Ooh. but I haven't seen any news. And it's <laughs> nine pages, and I don't know if it's like enough. And it came out in 2022. It came out last year, huh. spring. And I don't think... I don't know. Might just it's be a very, crank. Be, <laughs> that's the other thing. This problem has such a big history of people proving it and then it ending up not being true. Yeah. That, yeah. Very, very big history there. But,
1: but that was fun. Thanks for listening, guys. And we now... If you didn't hear about it in the last episode, we now have a email. You can send us suggestions or questions at openquestionspod at gmail.com and we also have the substack which you are welcome please subscribe to at just com and rena do you have any shout outs or uh, where can we find you what, what are you up to <laughs>
2: um what am i where can you find me um i i guess you can find me on instagram and twitter i i've deleted all my social media right now because i can't stop scrolling um mm-hmm. good call good call can't find her
1: anywhere That's yeah you can't find best. me and
2: you don't want to find me
1: <laughs> cool and you know as I always say the outro of this podcast are
2: you gotta change
1: our zinger is let's make
0: <laughs> yeah just change it every
1: time, <laughs> time you have to be determined you have to be determined send in your suggestions Open openquestionspod at gmail.com uh, have a good one y'all